So I'm going to do a little survey here. How many had? How many did a New Year's resolution? How many made a New Year's resolution? Just lift your hand up. Let's get that hand real high. Let's get a percentage here. We're looking at about wow, five, six percent, right? All right. How many have kept your New Year's resolution? Let's get that hand up. About four and a half percent. I like it. Not bad. I guess the uh, the rule is is that ninety five percent of New Year's resolutions are gone by February first. And uh, do you know the number one New Year's resolution? You know what it is? Losing weight and getting in shape. And I tell people all the time that round is a shape, so you better back off. They're the toughest machine at the gym, I, you, you're going you're gonna to appreciate this, and I think it's true, the toughest machine at the gym is the front door. It has always been the hardest to, to work, right? So... Um, it's New Year's resolution time, and uh, it's church time, and spiritual formation time, and prayer and fasting time. Um, but at the onset of starting into a, a new sermon series, I want to kind of deposit a couple big ideas. Number one, uh, this sermon series and this time of year is not about creating or developing a better you, okay? It's not about we want to make you better, okay? It is not about let's get the caterpillar to be faster, stronger, and better. It is that inside that caterpillar is a butterfly. Inside the caterpillar is a butterfly. That's why I've been asking this question for the last, actually, couple of weeks. I've been asking the question, what is dying in me? What is dying in me? What is coming alive in me? What is coming alive? What is being birthed in me? What's in my spirit? What is God trying to bring out? And then, and then number three, what, what am I coasting? What areas am I coasting in? My, my generosity, my my prayer, my, my, my fellowship, my friendships, whatever, investments, whatever it may be. Wh- where am I coasting? So three questions that I think would be, uh, I would implore you to ask yourself, what, what, what's an area that I need to die in? I need to die in. What's an area that is coming alive in me? And then number three, the question, I think this is a big one, an important one. Where am I coasting? Because this sermon series and this time of year really, really is about creating holy habits that and cadence that gets you through the year. It's really about spiritual formation. And we say this, that if we can get the main things right, if we can get like prayer and fasting and Bible reading right, like it will solve a million different issues. If we can defend and fight for our private time with the Lord, then we will win in so many areas, right? And and so I don't know about you, but we have habits, we make habits, habits make us, we have good habits, we have habits we're trying to break, we have habits that we're trying to make, but in the long, the long game is this, is that if you and I can create some cadence and muscle memory around spiritual habits, then we will find in our lives spiritual formation. Like for instance, brushing your teeth. I wake up, I brush my teeth. I go to bed, I floss and brush my teeth. It is muscle memory. It is a habit. I don't have to think about it. I don't sit at the end of the bed and go, Heidi, should I brush my teeth? I don't feel like brushing my teeth today, right? And, uh, and uh, I appreciate it. My teeth appreciate it. And my wife appreciates it. Can we give Colgate and Crest a hand? Let's just, aren't you thankful for toothpaste? And I ask this question, why do people who don't brush your teeth, they always want to tell you a secret. Have you noticed that? They're always like, hey, come here. I want to tell you something. That's illegal, all right? <laughs> so here's the big idea is that God has someone in you, a you that you don't even know yet. Not the caterpillar being faster, but the butterfly 
that goes to new dimensions. And I believe that 2019 can and will be your year to walk into that spiritual breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough that changes the landscape of everything for you. Paradigm shift, heart shift, spirit shift, and you can sail in a new direction. I, I love the story back in the day in the 13 and 1400s in northern Africa and in Spain especially, they had this, they had this, uh, this, this, this verbiage that essentially meant there's nothing else out there. Nay plus ultra. There's no more. And they believe that if you went and sailed in the Atlantic, that you would either get swallowed up by some sea beast or you would fall off the edge of the earth and, and it'd be over. So <clears throat> they warned everybody, if you're sailing out of the Mediterranean, you're going into the Atlantic, nay plus ultra. They even put this on their coins, nay plus ultra. You can, you can find it on, online. It's pretty interesting. That was, that was kind of the, the, uh, the moniker, if you will, of the day. There's no more. We've discovered it all. Until Columbus, 1492, sailed the ocean blue and discovers the new world, right? And they changed it. They took the nay off and they say, plus ultra. There is more. We haven't discovered it all. There is more. And I want to speak this over you today. For those of you that are here today and you go, I I've hit my lid. This is it. There's no more. This is the way life is always going to be. I want to speak this over you and say, plus ultra. There is more for your life. Amen. There is more for your life. And so I want to share with you really quickly a scripture um, out of 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> and as you turn there, I want, to, I want to just speak this over you real quick. Uh, we believe in prayer. We believe prayer is such an important, not just discipline, but communicating with God. And if you can just make it simple, make it specific, make it simple. And we say there's three ways to do it. Number one, if, if you will be specific. And being specific in prayer is an important thing. So we can pray for 100 things. You know those people that, that are Marco Polo prayer people, right? You, you, you don't allow them pray at lunch or dinner for the food because they will pray for every country and every need. And they'll have like, a, like laying on of hands and pray in their prayer language, right? But, but when you pray, make sure you're specific because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers. Let's be bold. And when we're specific, we're being bold. We're drawing a circle around it, and we're being bold. Number two is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up in prayer. Don't, don't give in in prayer. Don't, don't, don't stop praying. Okay, the Bible says we pray continually. We don't stop praying. And so let, let this be a praying church. Let our homes be praying homes. Let us have a, a praying heart. Let's, let's have a heart that, that keeps knocking at the door and keeps believing. And don't stop praying. You heard the story about the guy who was in the parking lot, and he was driving around, driving around, driving around, could not find a parking spot. He's like, Lord, you got to help me. Lord, you got to help me. And he's driving around, driving around. Finally, he stopped the car. He parked. He's like, Lord, I need you right now to come in and give me a parking spot. And as soon as he opened his eyes... Lights come on the back of the car, car backs up, goes forward. He looks up. He says, Lord, never mind. I found one. So, <clears throat> terrible joke, I know. But don't stop praying. And number three, and this really should be the first one, is pray first. Like, don't let prayer be your last option. Don't let it be your last resort. Let's go to the Lord before we make a bunch of dumb decisions and need him to come and do housekeeping and, and, and clean up everything that we've done. Let's pray first. So pray first, pray specific, and don't stop praying. Turn your neighbor, give him a high five and say, don't stop praying. <clears throat> All right. First Kings chapter 19 and 19. This is the Genesis, the origins of the 
prophet, the man, the myth, the legend, Elisha. And there's this continuation of anointing from Elijah the prophet who has uh, fought against Ahab and Jezebel, these two wicked leaders in the land. And, and um, there's this Kairos moment where God sends Elijah up to Elisha's area. He goes over to where Elisha is working. And you're going to hear the story about how Elijah takes the mantle and just brushes it up against Elisha. And something happens to Elisha, and Elisha makes a move. He presses start. He does something that would change his life forever. And how many knows that that one moment can change your life forever? One decision that can turn into other healthy, right decisions can change your life forever. So this is the genesis of the prophet Elisha stepping into his calling. 2 Kings chapter 19 and 19 says this, So Elisha went and found Elisha, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak or his mantle across his shoulders and then walked away. So we see like opportunities come, and then they walk away. And Elisha doesn't want to miss this. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said, first let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. But what you're going to find is he does a lot more than kiss his mother and father goodbye. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. Okay, this is, this is not PG. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Talking about pressing start today. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We honor your word. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize this moment and what you're trying to speak to us. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the liberty that we feel in this room, in this house. We honor and glorify your name. Let your word fall into good ground in our hearts and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen. So, one of the key elements with Mr. Elisha is this, is that he recognizes the need to move forward. But he also recognizes how important it is for him to really bury the past, to not have a plan B, to not have a fallback plan. He knows that this moment is so rare and so unique that he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn the plow, and I'm going to make steaks for everybody, and I'm going to not only kill the oxen, I'm going to serve them. I'm not, you know, not going to become a butcher and put the steaks away in the freezer, and if it doesn't work out, then come back and sell the steaks and, and do all right. He says, I'm going all in. This is a decision where there is no turning back. And I want to encourage some of you today that it is time to let go of the past. It is time to say sayonara, adios, au revoir, all the other words. In Italian, I think it's asa la pasta or asa lasagna. 
of Edashin, whatever it may be, you got to learn to say goodbye. Some of you are holding on to the past like you're holding on to old jeans. They're comfortable, but they stink, and they don't really fit, and the holes in those jeans aren't the cool kind of holes. You know what I mean? They're not the cool ones. These are the holes that you don't need to be doing too much work because it can be bad really quickly. you got to let go. It is time to say goodbye to the past. It's time to do whatever you got to do to not have a plan B. And let's look forward and say, this is the year. This is my moment. I'm pressing start because God has more for me. Plus ultra, there is more. We are a church that exists for those who are asking the question, is there more? And we want to answer that with saying, yes, there is more. That in Christ, there is more. A life that you haven't even seen yet. A life that you can't even perceive yet. There is a life. And you got to sometimes take the high school letter jacket off. Letterman jacket off, right? There's people who are, who are 59 still wearing the old high school letterman jacket. Still cruising, right, down the street. and Still talking about the big game and 79 high school football game. And it's like, it's time to move on to your future. Your future is now and it's about to pass you up. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. So we're saying goodbye. There's a story about uh, an explorer named Cortez. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a pretty story. But he did something that a lot of leaders and a lot of people talk about. Where they went and, 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 and they went and they were, they were trying to take some territory. Not a good thing. They were trying to take some territory. And they kept losing. They kept losing. And so finally he comes up with this big idea to burn the ships. Burn the ships. That there is, that every time they lost, they would run back to the ships and sail away. And they come back and try again. But he said, it's time to burn the ships. We either, we either win or we die. We either win or, or we lose everything. And, and there has to come a point where you finally say, enough is enough. I'm tired of seeing the same results. 2019 feels like 2018, feels like 2017. Feels like 2016. And there was actually a man in the Bible who had this cry. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2. I want you to hear the cry of a man who has everything and yet there is no purpose and he feels like it's all meaningless. <clears throat> Solomon says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then returns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers to the sea, sea never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers, flowing out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And I think there may be some people in this room, you feel this way. You feel like life is just one big deja vu. You've been here before. You've seen it before. How many here has ever had a deja vu? How many here has ever had a deja vu? Just kidding. That was a terrible joke. They get worse as the day goes. <clears throat> All right. How many recognize this right here? This is called a real video game. I don't play video games, but I used to when I was a kid. It was called Nintendo because it was awesome. There are two kind of people in the world. There are people who know who killed JR. And there are people who... Play video games. 
And if you don't know who killed JR, exactly. You grew up playing video games, all right? I grew up playing this, Nintendo, and what was awesome is we didn't need 100 buttons to win. We just needed two, A and B, both of them red. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever play Nintendo? Come on, Contra, Tecmo Bowl, Mike Tyson Punch-Out, Super Mario Brothers. Can I get an amen from anybody? And what was cool, like, is, you know, like, like you played the, you actually played the computer, like, now you're playing, like, like 16-year-old kids in Bulgaria. You know what I mean? It's like, like who are we playing here? Who are you playing against, Josh? And, and, but we used to play, and with two buttons, we could save the princes and beat Mike Tyson, and we could save the world. It was actually quite magic. But there was a, my favorite game, and it's actually called the most important game of all time. It was the game of all games. It was the game that changed the landscape of games, and it's this game right here. Super Mario Brothers, just give me a hand if you played this game. Just raise your hand if you are blessed enough to play this game. <clears throat> now, this is the auto-entry part of the game. Running, jumping, jumping over the red, running into the little, little guy there, coming over, and then dying. Boom, done. And then guess what happens? It resets. And this is usually what's going on in the background when your mom yells, Hey, are you cleaning your room? And you quietly put the remote control to the side clean your room for about 60 seconds, and then yell, oh, yeah, cleaning the room. So it's not a lie. Terrible advice for the kids. Not saying to do that, but that's what would happen. But in the background, this just keeps looping. Small Mario starts to run. He's going to jump and hit the question mark. He's going to jump and kill that guy, get the mushroom, jump left, come up, hit the question mark. He's going to run back over, jump over the green, jump over the green, get hit. Small Mario jumps over, and guess what happens? He hits, and he dies, and it starts over again and again and again until you press start. And there's a lot of people, your life feels like this because you really haven't pressed start yet. You really haven't pushed the start button on your true spiritual journey that God is calling you to. You enjoy church. We enjoy fellowship. But what if there's a button? What if there's an action that you can take that changes everything? Like Elisha, who's doing his thing, plowing the field back and forth, back and forth, back and and forth. And one day, opportunity comes. One day, he senses destiny. One day, an anointing touches his shoulders, and he feels something. And it was so worth it that he was willing to sacrifice everything to go after that thing that he was passionate about. That thing that he felt in a moment. And he didn't know all the details. And he didn't know where he was going. And he didn't know, hey, this is the, this is the six-year Bible college. And this is what it's going to look like. This is semester number one. We're going to study this, do this. He didn't realize it was an Ahab and a Jezebel waiting not, not only kill Elijah now, but Elisha now. That he was going to be standing before God and standing before kings and standing before backslidden people and have to have the spirit of Elijah, double portion, that stands up against the wickedness in the land. And it all started with someone pushing the start button. And you and I, at some point, are going to have that moment because everything has a starting point. The tree in front of my house, we have a big oak and People will come by and they'll go, man, I love that oak. And I'll say, yeah, I planted it like two years ago. It's just so, it's doing so well. It's a massive oak, like that big. And they're like, yeah, 
But the point is made, right? Like this wasn't planted yesterday. <clears throat> Someone planted it at some point. At some point there was an origin. There's an old wise saying that says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Like start now. Like you got to do it now. Like don't wait because everything has a starting point. I remember in my life being, being a, a young little whippersnapper Christian, you know, just going through the motions and loving God. And I, 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 but when God put his presence on me and called me, there was a push start kind of moment where I said, I'm, there's some things I'm letting go of. There's some things I'm going to have to let die. There's some friendships that are going to have to, to, to be pushed to the side because I'm now focused on what God is calling me into. And I just want to encourage you, who, whoever you are today, and this is just the premise of this sermon series, but I want to like encourage you today and say that there is more for your life and, and there is a press start moment that you're going to have and, and it's some action behind faith and, and action behind belief. And if you will step into your moment, this year could be a life-changing year. Not upgrading the caterpillar to slow to fast, but the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. And you, there's a change that happens from the inside out. Now, <clears throat> about last year, I got connected with some authors that were writing about information. I shared a little bit of this uh, last year about how knowledge is doubling all the time. It's doubling now every 12 hours. Back in the days of Jesus, it was 1,500 years from when, when information doubled. From the day Jesus was born to when the cumulative knowledge in the plant, on the planet doubled, it was 1,500 years. And then it was 250 years. And then it was every 100 years up until uh, World War II. And then it doubled every 25 years up into the 90s. And then it was doubling every 18 months up until this last decade, and now it's accelerated so fast. They're saying, uh, uh, Google uh, uh, scientists are saying that, that, that monitor information and knowledge are saying it's doubling about every 12 hours. And, and uh, uh, But Mr. Fuller, uh, he's an ar architect and a futurist and system theorist, and his knowledge doubling curve, he talks about the anxiety that comes. There's an anxiety that comes along with it. Thomas Freeman, New York Times, The Age of Acceleration, talks about with all the information that's being pumped our way. There's so much information. Information, information. It's on your phone. It's on the network. It's on TV. It's, 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 it's broadcast. There's more access, more than ever, to information. I was doing a project with my son Jude. He's eight. He turns nine tomorrow. And uh, he had to correct me because uh, when I was in school, when I was in elementary, Pluto was a planet. And then Pluto wasn't a planet. And then it was a planet again. And now Pluto is not a planet. And I can't even keep up with Pluto, much less what's happening overseas, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much information. Grandma gets a flip phone and is like, hey, honey, how do I use this? And I can't even figure out how to help grandma use the flip phone because now my brain doesn't work in flip phone mode anymore, right? Things are changing, and there's an anxiety attached to all the information that's out there in the world. You feel it, and I feel it. We can't keep up with it. Did you know? Did you hear? This is what's happening, and knowledge is literally, by the time you wake up and then go to sleep again, knowledge has doubled. And you say, well, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with our spiritual formation and growth, and I'm going to share with you why. Neil Postman, a cultural commentator, media critic from NYU, he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's one of the most important books to understand where our society is today. And I want to read you a quote that he, he, he gave, and then he coined this phrase, information to action ratio. How much information we get to how much action it produces. 
<clears throat> he said, the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are gluttoned with information, drowning in information, and have no control over it, don't know what to do with it. And this is what he says. He says, the, the thing that changed our society forever wasn't the Internet. It wasn't the computer, personal computer. It wasn't the smartphone. He says, what changed our world and society forever was this one thing, the telegraph, the telegraph. It was the first time that people could access information in real time from somewhere far away. Because when you used to get information, you would get it as history. It would come your way, and it was like, oh, there was this war. There was this battle. And who won? Well, this person won. What happened? Well, this is what happened. And now we're getting information in real time from a place that we cannot go to, and we can do nothing about. And he says, because of this, information is high, and now there's this allergy, and there's this, there's, there's this uh, impotence in our, in our society that doesn't allow us. We don't know how to respond to information. We're used to hearing something feeling bad about it and doing nothing about it back in the day when you lived in a little community and joe's barn was on fire you know what you did you got a bucket filled it with water and you wouldn't help joe get his barn not on fire anymore let's get ta this taken care of you didn't go hey you know what let's do a, a social media you know <clears throat> blitz and just let people know no more barn fires on our watch hashtag no more barn fires that's called virtue signaling. And it happens all the time. It is the new drug. Did you know that? The new drug in our society. The greatest drug. The highbrows, low class, the down and outers, everybody. We're all virtue signaling. Put something on social media. Man, feeling bad about that. Oh, can you believe that? And we get a little dopamine. A little, oh, burst feels good and we do nothing about it and this is what he coined we now live you and i live in a society where it's called the high information low action ratio high information low action and all of us in our personal life and in our spiritual life if we don't recognize it it will plague us from really stepping into god's best for our lives. Let me show you why this is important and why this is so huge. James chapter 1 and 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks into uh, his face in the mirror and afterwards looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So if I tell my son Josh, whom I love and probably wouldn't do this, but if I told Josh, Josh, I need you to go clean your room and make your bed. And he runs off and 15 minutes later he comes back down. He's like, man, that was great. I'm like, how did it go? Did you clean your room and make your bed? No, but I learned how to say clean your room and make your bed in Greek, Hebrew, and Spanish. I'd be like, that's awesome. You're, you're a great kid. But I need you to scoot back up, scurry on up, and go clean your room, and go make your bed. And then he comes back 15 minutes later, Dad, 
Look what I did. I painted a picture of a kid cleaning his room and making his bed. I'd be like, son, that is amazing. True Monet right there. True Monet. But I need you to go and make this real simple. Clean your room and make your bed. And a lot of us believers and Christians, we know everything about what we ought to do and what it ought to look like and how church ought to feel and what Christians ought to believe. And we're really good at the high information stuff. We know the Greek and the Hebrew. But we have been handicapped by all that we know and all that we think we know. And we live in a, not only in the world, but in the church, there's a high information, low action ratio, and it's destroying our spiritual formation. This church has never been built around, we're going to give you a lot of information. We're going to take you here, and discipleship's going to just pump scriptures. You're going to be able to quote scriptures from front to back. It's always about creating opportunities for action, because action is what changes lives. Information. Plus, inspiration does not equal transformation. We'll put that up on the screen. Information plus inspiration does not equal transformation. I can get up here and juggle flaming swords on a unicycle and inspire you and then get down and be like, now, now I can do it. You can do it. And you're all like, that was amazing. And walk out and hear and do nothing. Never press start. And life keeps just cycling. And life is like Mario Brothers, the automated entry to Mario Brothers. We never push the start button. But here's the right equation. Information plus application. The moment that I move in the direction, the moment that what I feel and what I know creates movement and motion, that is the moment that transformation begins to happen. There is this allergy in the church that's that's happened and it's it, 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 it's a it's a it's an allergy like we're gonna go back to a monastery that we're gonna close the doors and lock them and we the, the world has cooties and and uh, we can only drink milk that that are from christian cows and we're afraid uh, and we're gonna protect and we know and we're right and we've got it and and i want to tell you what the church is is a, is a faith family we're Faith is action. It's belief plus action equals faith. That's the equation. We're, we're a church on the move. We're a people who is stepping into spiritual cadence with God. We're hearing and doing, hearing and receiving and moving. We're creating action behind our belief. So I want to put a scripture up for you real quick. And I want, I want to help you understand what faith really looks like. And we're going to build on this principle today. Belief plus action equals faith. So belief is not faith. It is part of faith, but it is not faith. I want you to read this with me. Now faith. Okay, that was terrible. Let's do it again. Here we go. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance. It's something that you can see and touch and feel. It is, it is not internal. It is not ethereal. It is the evidence and it's the substance of what is living inside of you. So when I have belief and I act upon that belief, then that belief becomes faith. Faith is the action behind my belief. Turn your neighbor, give a fist bump and say, let's walk in faith. Let's walk in faith. 
Now, I want to show you a scripture that's going to be the premise for this entire idea. Hebrews chapter 11 and 8. In the Bible, here's what you're going to find over and over and over. Are you ready? Low information, high action. Low information, high action. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He didn't know how to pack. He didn't know if he was supposed to bring uh, rain boots and a rain jacket or if he was supposed to wear, uh, bring swim trunks. He didn't know where he was going. He was a 70-year-old man who heard God's voice, and he heard it, and he went. And God says, you've pleased me. You are a friend. I can bless you. I can bless you. You don't see it all, know it all, know what it's going to look like. But you've taken a step. And the moment that Abraham said yes in his heart and took that step in the physical, faith was activated. And God said, I will bless the entire planet on that man right there. Low information, high action. Hey, I want you to march around uh, this big, big uh, city, and it's called Jericho. Low information. I need more information, God. So what's the big idea here? And actually, you know, I was reading it the other day, it was, it was God's like, hey, um, and I need you to not say anything. Seven days I need you to, like, sh- sh- shut your mouth. Because if I let you talk, like, you're going to be grumbling me, like, what in the world are we? Low information, high action. And the walls came tumbling down. Hey, Jesus' first miracle, what are we going to do? We need, some, we need some wine, and everyone's going to be disappointed, and Jesus, you're here, and why aren't you doing something? And Jesus is like, fine, take, the, take those pitchers and that water, the water that should be, you know, tossed out. This is the water for washing feet and washing dishes. This is the dirty water, and he says, um, I want you to take that and pour it in and, and start distributing that to everybody. Low information. I need more than that. I need you to explain to me what's going to happen after I get stabbed in the heart, pouring this into the governor's cup. Are you going to resurrect me? What's happening here? Low information, high activity equals transformation, equals miracles, equals faith in action. Faith is action. So the question of are we a people of faith, you have to answer that. Have you pushed the start button? Have you taken a step? I don't know what that looks like. Today it may be saying yes to Jesus. It may be getting baptized. Your next step may be getting more involved. It may be applying for mission. Who knows what it is? But here's what I want to tell you right now. I want you to not interpret it this way. That you come to me in a week or two and you're like, hey, Pastor, thank you. I needed that. That was a great talk. And I've decided to sign the divorce papers and abandon my kids and go work in Vegas at a bar. Okay? Don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. Go live my best life now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us becoming a people, not of just words. Not just making empty promises. Not just being moved. But when we're moved, we move. When we're moved by the Holy Spirit, we respond. You ever have one of those, like, word of knowledges that God gives you? And you're like, stop it. You're ruining everything. I was going from here to there. And now you want me to go pray for them or go give them. Stop. 
And it doesn't matter how much you wish it or will it. It's not until we respond to what God has put in us that the transformation, manifestation, and the glory comes. Information high, action low. And if we do that, we never press start. Life looks like Mr. Mario hitting the question mark, getting big, eating the mushroom. Not bad kind of mushrooms, the good kind that make you big, right? <coughs> getting small again. And life becomes 2018 looked like 2017, and it looked like 2016, and it looked like the year before, and it looked like the year before, and it looked like the year before. I want to close with this scripture, Romans chapter 10 and 13. You know, there's this whole debate on causation versus correlation. Maybe you've heard that before. It's an interesting, like, most people who smoke are also drinkers, but Drinking doesn't cause smoking. It's correlation, not causation. What, what causes a thing versus what is correlated with a thing? Long story. Won't go into that. But there is cause and effect in the Bible. Everything has a, has a, has a beginning. Everything has a moment where it was not, and it is. In fact, God is the first cause of all things. If I knock over my fork and my fork hits the ground and somebody walks by and slips and hits their head and, and they call the ambulance, the ambulance comes to get them and they run a red light and a person who is going to go through that light misses that light, has to wait another time. And they go and they're late to their appointment. They don't get the job. They have to move. Whatever happens, there's, a, there's an initial cause. The cosmos started with a causal agent that started the first cause. God is the first causal agent. But after he acts and we hear, now it's in our hands. We have to follow through with the cause and effect. I want to show you a scripture. Romans chapter 10 and 13. We start backwards. We actually start at the end and work our way. For everyone who calls on the name, on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's action. <clears throat> but then how will they call on them that they do not believe? So how can, you, how can you act in faith if you don't believe? But how can you believe if you've not heard? So you can't believe if someone hasn't told you the truth. And if they don't tell you the truth, then you can't believe, and then you can't call in the name of the Lord. Cause and effect. And he says this. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Action. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So God speaks into someone's heart and says, go. And then we usually go, No. Use somebody else. Use somebody else. I think this needs to be the year where we, we stop saying it's going to be somewhere else, somewhere else. And, and we assume responsibility and we say, this is my year. I'm going to burn the ships. I'm going to burn the plow. I'm going to burn every, I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye to everything that I have become comfortable with. And I'm going to step into the unknown. Low information, high action. That is where miracles are. That's where transformation is. That's where God wants the church to live. Not that we just self-feed, right? Shut the monastery up. Lock the doors. Let's build a gym in here for our, for our New Year's resolution. It's got to be Christian weights. Christian gym. It's a gym for Christians. We just lock in. We know all this stuff. There's no action. Can I tell you that information plus action?
but application equals transformation. I want you to assume this mantra and moniker for this year, that this is the year for action. Lights, camera, action. I'm getting baptized. I'm pushing the start button. I'm going to lead that group. I'm going to apply for the mission. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start meeting and doing coffee with some other believers. I'm a, what God put in my heart, I've been sitting on. It's been dormant. I'm pushing start. And life will not look like deja vu anymore. It's going to look like deja new. A new you, a new year. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head. This is the most important part of the service. This is the most important part of the service. Is we want to give you an opportunity. If, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know Him, and you don't know that you've been forgiven by Him, I want to give you the opportunity to call on His name today. I want to give you an opportunity to push start today in a relationship with Jesus Christ.